You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. And so we have to ask the question, is dating this 120-year-old idea that's not in the Bible anywhere, Genesis Revelation, is dating for the purpose of marriage or is it something else? I know people who are really wounded because their parents prayed for their spouse with them every night, and now they are 35, they've never been asked out, when they ask someone out, they just say no, and they are wrestling with this idea of, gosh, was I called to singleness, and it seems like my parents didn't value that possibility at all. And I don't think he's like cheering for two 16-year-olds making out in the backseat. Like, I just don't, you know, I, I don't think he's ever cheered for that. I think uh, he's actually jumping up and down, waving his arms, saying, no, 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 this, this is going to cause you a lot of hurt. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my lovely co-host first, the diva of dating, Cassie Bryant. How you doing today, Cassie? Oh, diva of dating. All three dates. No, I, I mean, Eric and I have gone on a lot more dates than that. I only dated two guys before Eric, so. Oh, I was going to say, did you only go on three dates before you got married? You're the one that's advocating arranged marriage. Is that <laughs> We did only date for four months and we're engaged for four months. It was pretty brief. How many of your roommates did your husband date before you? <sighs> I'm trying to remember. He dated two of my roommates okay. <laughs> before he dated me. Okay, but you, he, you're the winner, though. I mean, you, you're the gold Obviously. medal. It's not like you're the bronze. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> the woman that I love to take out for dinner, Mrs. Chelsea Griffin, is with us. How are you doing today, Chelsea? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about dating. Uh, well, on today's episode, we have a very special guest with us, an incredible pastor, speaker, communicator, writer, just a great man. Ladies and gentlemen, will you welcome J.P. Pakluda to the podcast today. Yay! JP, how you doing, man? How you doing, JP? What's up, guys? Hey, man, that is quite the intro. I'm going to take you with me everywhere. You you read that just like I wrote it, so thank you. Uh, and and it's awesome. I'm a huge fan of arranged marriages, so I hope we talk about that. I actually recently arranged one. Oh, yes. believe it or not, and uh, that that's pretty fun. Is so. that true? Did you and really do an arranged marriage? It, it a hundred percent true. Uh, we did an arranged marriage contest with the release this. of Outdated, and so you could sign up online. Uh, we chose a man and a woman. They met at my house, and they get married October. Oh my 8th. goodness! I had no idea. Boom! <laughs> it's like the that? Christian Bachelorette, but <laughs> no, it's it is it's it's crazy. But it it worked out. Every now and then, it works out. I hey, mostly. Wow. I'm mostly for it because the Griffins have three boys and I have three girls, and I feel like it's obvious what should happen. <laughs> oh, man, I'm telling you. 100%. Just, uh, just arrange it out, make it happen. Yeah. Well, JP, you're, a, you're an expert on dating. You've, you've written a lot on the, on the... I don't know, Cassie and Chelsea, if you know this, that JP does this incredible pastoral uh, social media work where he takes questions from people and he answers them so well. I assume you're answering them and not having some intern mm -hmm. answering them, but you answer them so, so well. And many of the questions you get asked are about dating. You ever get tired of talking about it? I don't ever get tired of talking about it because I think it if you could date well, it solves so many of the problems in the world. Like so many of the problems that we see today uh, date back to or go back to the family of origin. And so it's like what's happening in the home is impacting the way that people mm. live their lives. Yeah. And so if you can get it right when boy meets girl, you can really solve a lot of the problems in the world. And this is one of those things where I candidly don't think we're just like a little bit off. Mm. I think we're really, really missing the mark 
in the worlds of relationship. And so I'm not trying to kiss dating goodbye, but I am trying to redefine Come it on. in a way that I think honors God. If we can do it right, you can save everyone, including your children that aren't even thought of right now, uh, a lot of pain. Mm. So Great, man. Well, then let's get into it. But before we do that, and I want to hear all about your heart and what you just expressed. But first, would you mind just introducing yourself to the listeners who yeah. don't know J.P. Pecluda? Those who uh, just tell us a little bit about your family, a little bit about your ministry. Yeah, Jonathan Pecluda. I've been married to my wife, Monica, for 18 years. We have three kids. Weston is 10, Finley's 13, Presley is 15. Uh, we moved from Dallas to the huge metropolis of Waco, <laughs> Texas, three and a half years ago to pastor a church here, a 142-year-old Baptist church in the country called Harris Creek. Prior to that, I had the privilege of leading a ministry uh, called The Porch, which is based there in Dallas, targeted towards uh, adults in their 20s and 30s, and The Porch had 18 campuses around the country. And so uh, there were several books that kind of born out of uh, the ministry, one, Welcome to Adulting, and uh, Welcoming the Future Church, and now outdated a book on uh, relationships, Finding Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed. And so that's a crash course. I do a Friday Q&A every Friday on Instagram where I take, uh, I'll receive about 2,000 questions Crazy. and I'll answer anywhere between 50 to 100. 2,000 questions I've every week? for three and a half years, yeah. 2,000. How many of them are related to uh, Chip and JoJo and the Waco uh, mystique? Is that a, <laughs> you know, there, there's probably one in there a week <laughs> on Chip and Joe, but not a ton. <laughs> that's great. They're the best. Okay, so you've spoken and written a lot on dating and relationships. Uh, does that stem from just working with younger people and being around uh, young adults, or was that already a passion of yours? Yeah, so much of ministry is pattern recognition, and you mm. just see people making decisions that lead to life. You see people making decisions that lead to death. You start to write down those those decisions. You begin to see the patterns. It gives God's Word just a ton of credibility because mm. it's like, oh, wait, he said this a couple thousand years ago. And you, you said I was a dating expert, and uh, I would just say you can become an expert one of two ways. Uh, one, by learning from your own mistakes. Uh, two, by learning from the mistakes of others. And so for me, it really is both of those. So I just made a ton of dating mistakes mm -hmm. and hit my head against a lot of ceilings, ran into a lot of walls, caused a lot of pain in my life and in the lives of others. And and then I became a Christian. And as I began to follow Jesus, got married, and then just began to do ministry to people who were single and so wanting to wanted to help them find their way. And so now I'm a dad and, you know, I've got two daughters that are, are moving into that age where they start to notice boys and trying to, you know, show them the way that they should go so that as they grow old, they would not Amen. depart from it. Yeah. Amen. That's the perfect segue because I was going to, I'm going to ask you, you know, you've had this perspective of a pastor and um, helping teach college and young adults uh, what dating relationships can look like. But now, like, how is that different now as you're thinking about it from the perspective of a father? I, I, I don't know that the advice has changed at all. I mean, if anything, it's it grows my convictions around what I have said to others. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to live it out. It is, you know, I've, I've been the guy, I'm not a fan of dating in high school. And so now that I have someone in high school and all her friends are going to homecoming. And so now mm. I'm, I'm having to test those convictions and, mm. and what does that look like, uh, in our home? And I, I love my daughter. I want her to be, you know, happy and full of joy and experience life. And yet I want to protect her and I want to show her the way. Yeah. 
that she should go, but I don't want to be legalistic. And so just trying to navigate that and, and really asking the questions, okay, where can I be lenient? You know, where should we relax a little bit? And that, that's, that's probably the biggest challenge. I don't know that any of the counsel has changed in my own kids, but it, it is, uh, I, I would say tested. my empathy, my empathy for parents has grown. Yeah. Well, since we have a lot of parents of teenagers, just a quick follow up. What can you sh- expound a little bit more on why you think dating in high school is a bad idea? Yeah, because it it um and it depends. So before I go on record and say dating in high school is a bad idea, I would just say it depends on what you mean by dating. Mm. Uh, what I think is a bad idea is one guy and one girl spending a a disproportionate amount of time together saying things like I love you, mm-hmm. getting their hearts really intertwined. Statistically, they're setting themselves up for for failure and heartbreak and hurts and drama and all of that that a lot of us lived experientially. And then we have kids of our own and we push them that direction. And that's crazy because it wasn't yeah. – we didn't enjoy it. We didn't enjoy the sleepless nights and crying in our pillow and – and the heartbreak, and yet we think that just has to be a way of life, and it doesn't. I would tell you my understanding, my theology around how God made us is he really didn't make our hearts to be broken uh, over and over again. And a lot of the way that people date today is what God intended for marriage. And I'm not just talking about the sexual stuff. I mean, just like the way that we emotionally give our hearts to someone at an early age is really what God intended to happen one time through the the act of the covenant of marriage. And so a lot of breakups today honestly feel like divorces. Mm. And we're going through this thing. It's it's traumatic. It's trauma. Like we have like our hearts have to heal. And and one of the worst things you can do with trauma is normalize it, you know, mm. where you just think, oh, yeah, that's really painful. That's really hurt. But that's just normal. That's just what people do. Well, that's like a – that's almost like a – oh, if I did that as a pastor, people would say you're guilty of spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. And yet in the, that's in the world, that's what we do because the enemy loves to watch us hurt each other. He loves it. Wow. He's entertained by it. Mm. And so for those reasons – I would say we really need to be cautious in the way that we raise our children and and just to, like dating is a is a man-made construct like it, dating the word dating entered the English language about 120 years ago it was a euphemism for prostitution hmm. to go on a date meant to exchange sexual favors for an experience and so this is it so you would say uh when it showed up it was on a radio show he he said she took dates talking about a woman and really talking about sex all right wow. and so fast forward to 2022 and not a lot has progressed. I mean, a lot of times when we say dating, what we mean is exchanging sexual favors for an experience. Uh, that's the way mm-hmm. that the world dates. And so that's why I say, somebody says, hey, are you against dating in high school? I say, well, it depends on what you mean by dating. Now, if what you mean is guys and girls spending time together to understand you know, how they can relate to each other and not be awkward and under, you know, liking someone, but but um, a, a, you know, being cautious in the way that you express that and what you do with that, if that's what you mean by dating, I was like, oh yeah, that's natural. That's going to happen. You know, I understand that. But when somebody begins to spend exclusive time with someone and begins to give their heart and emote toward them uh, in a disproportionate way, 
I, I think you're venturing into danger land. Wow. Okay, you're blowing my mind here. Um, <laughs> uh, now I have so many more questions. Yeah, the The subtitle to your book says that dating has changed. So you just cut, touched on that a little bit, but in some more literal or practical ways, tell us what you're seeing. How has dating changed? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in some ways it hasn't, right? In the way that I just defined it of, hey, if we're if we're talking about the way that the word in, entered the language of exchanging sexual favors uh, for an experience, that is still very much happening in the world, right? Uh, the way that it's changed is guys are afraid to ask girls out. Generally speaking, this is certainly a stereotype, but generally speaking, they, it's not happening nearly as often. Uh, marriage has changed. We're getting married later. We're getting married less and marriages aren't lasting. And so dating is not a really seen as a pathway to a promise. Dating isn't really seen as the way that you find a spouse. Dating is seen as as an experience. It's something that you do for fun. Mm. And what happens is we date in such a way where it's filled with drama and we get addicted to the drama so that when we experience something that's not dramatic, it feels broken. Uh, uh, this looks like people who've been in uh, intimate relationships. They become Christians. They start to date in a Christian way. And then, uh, you know, a young woman's like, well, does he even like me? Because he's not he's not trying to make out with me. So I kind of assume he doesn't really like me. And they, they're confused, right? They've never been date pursued well. Guys uh, will, will say the same kinds of things, right? And so uh, dating has changed in the way that we pursue each other. Technology has come into the picture, uh, texting, sexting, uh, dating apps, dating websites, social media. All of this has ventured into its way in, in the, the pursuit of a relationship or a significant other. And so in those ways, dating has really changed. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about uh, people getting married later and later and guys having this like fear of asking girls out. So, you know, Adam and I have all boys. And so we really like promote, we kind of promote dating in our house in a sense that um, honestly, I think if I had daughters, I might be prone to telling them all the time, like, you don't need a man. You're enough. You're like, you don't need nothing. You good. But then looking at my sons, I'm like, no, you definitely need a woman. And I don't want you to be 35 before you ask a girl on a date. Um, uh, and so in our house, just generally, we just kind of, with our boys, we promote the idea of uh, like when we're praying at night with them, you know, we remind them sometimes, not every night or anything, but we talk about praying that God would provide for them a godly wife mm. and seeking it one day. And it's this very like positive idea f- yeah. towards our sons that we tell them it's going to be awesome. You know, we hope yeah. God gives you a godly wife and that's going to be a great thing. Do you think that there is anything concerning about celebrating the idea of dating with younger kids? So feel free to b- rebuke us or kind of yeah. help our listeners think about creating this framework with yeah. young children. Yeah, that's good. You, you make an important distinction between going on a date and dating. That's the other thing that I would say. And so like as my as my kids enter into that uh, age of you know, homecoming as an example. And so a, a young man, you know, called me, asked if it would be all right if he asked my daughter to homecoming, did an amazing job. I, I had the opportunity to encourage him and just to say how honored I would be uh, if if she spent time with him in that way. I got to ask him hard questions. I got to encourage him the way that he answered those questions, that he had been thoughtful. He showed up. We, we just got to celebrate that whole event. And so we celebrated them going on a quote-unquote date and not necessarily them dating. And I, I make that distinction. It really is, I think it becomes problematic 
when you be, two people begin to spend a disproportionate amount of time prior to being ready for marriage. And so we have to ask the question, is dating this 120-year-old idea that's not in the Bible anywhere, Genesis Revelation, is dating for the purpose of marriage or is it something else? And uh, and and I think you can have different answers to those questions and still be within the will of God and God be fine and smiling upon you. I do think you have to be thoughtful in answering those questions, right? And so I've had conversations with people. I've talked about this a lot, you know, and some folks would say, well, I view dating as really preparing, you know, my children's hearts for spending time with the opposite sex. And and so I would say, yeah, and if that's your motive, that's your why, and you're cautious in the way that you do that, I think that that can be great. Now, where I would caution you, and this you may this may be a little bit of a curveball, but I think it's very, very important. <laughs> and I think it's more important now than it has been for a really long time. I won't say ever, but a really long time, is you have to leave room for the calling to singleness. And so mm-hmm. I know people who are really wounded because their parents prayed for their spouse with them every night. And now they are 35. They've never been asked out. Uh, when they ask someone out, they just say no. And and they are wrestling with this idea of, gosh, was I called to singleness? And it seems like my parents didn't value that possibility at all because of the way they just projected this on me in their prayers. And I yeah. and and I'll just say this really quick because I know it's not what, what we're talking about, but 1 Corinthians 7, you know, elevates a, a singleness as a gift. Um, and But really what people don't realize is Paul is plagiarizing the words of Jesus in Matthew 19. Jesus himself, who was single, said that there are people who live celibate lives for the sake of the kingdom. Not everyone can accept this, but those who can should. And so there you have Jesus himself putting the call to singleness on a really high platform. And I think we just plow through that in modern day Christianity. And, um, you know, there's that is a real possibility for all of our children. And we, we have to leave that open too. So as I pray, I say, God, should you desire marriage for them? I pray that they would find someone in your perfect timing whose heart you have and that right now you're protecting and preserving that person and you're growing their faith and their knowledge and their relationship with you. So that's that's the way that I pray with my children. I just add that, should you have marriage in the, you know, should that be your desire for them? Yeah, that's so good. That's a helpful way to think about that. And you're right that in the church, even though the scripture does elevate it and say that this is a difficult calling if you're called to singleness, um, it doesn't condemn singleness at all. And yet we we treat it like a sad outcome and a second rate op, um, outcome for somebody a lot of times in the church or acting like their real life hasn't started until they found a right. spouse. Uh, I genuinely do want to see my boys get married one day because yep. <laughs> I think it'd I be great. But As, but, as do but, a yeah, lot of moms. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as, I, I mean, truly, just like no, no. I mean, I don't think you need to yeah. temper your desire. I think, um, yeah. I think you just, we just, we, as we pray, we want to conform our desire to God's. Even, and I'm not, I'm not picking on you, but even though you invited it, I, I, you said I had permission to rebuke, <laughs> but I, I don't yeah. even, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know that the scriptures you said, even though it says it's hard, I, it actually, what it says in the text, at least in First Corinthians seven, is that it's easier. 
Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what he says. Yeah. He says not everyone uh, in in verse Corinthians seven. He says, "For a married man is concerned about this. A, a married woman is concerned about this. She has these struggles that a single person is, doesn't have." And so, in some ways, you know, it the scripture actually says it's easier. You know, we we can wrestle yeah. through that. But well, I think it's isn't it part that our culture conflates romance with happiness. And so if we're condemning that's our right. kids to a life without romance, then we're saying they'll never be happy. That, and so that, that feels like they're into. getting deprived, right? Yeah, that's what that's what I'm tapping into is I think we can read that into the text of like, oh gosh. And, and I just, you know, the, I think the church has not taught this well. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. I love what you shared about, you know, thinking about dating in high school and the why behind it. So how do you help parents? Because based on that, the way you're defining it, then maybe they're still not ready really to date, maybe in college or maybe after. How do you help parents think about what age one of their kids is ready to date? And what does that mean to be ready to date? I mean, again, dating is dating is a man-made idea. And so um, we we already joked about arranged marriage, but biblically speaking, that's the only example we have is arranged marriage. I am a, a huge advocate of arranged marriage. Let me explain. Not in the sense that like it that happens in the Hindu faith where you meet your spouse at the altar, but in the sense of communal uh, informed decisions like the Proverbs say about 16 times, wisdom comes from the counsel of many. If children are taught to if they earn if they've learned to trust their parents 
then for sure they're going to want their parents speaking into this. And I'm not trying to make this weird like distinction between dating and courtship and you know these categories that we can that we can create. I'm just saying, hey, we can date, we can call it dating, but dating is a pathway to a promise. That's the way that I would define it. And so whenever somebody is ready for that promise, that's when they should enter into the, hey, now I'm looking for a spouse. And so I don't want to look for I don't want to look for something until I'm I'm ready for it. And so it just kind of if I go to the mall with without any money, uh, I'm going to I'm going to leave frustrated or I'm going to take something that doesn't belong to me. And that's the same thing that happens when we date too early. If we go dating, uh, if we enter into the dating world, but we're not ready for the the commitment or covenant of marriage, then we're going to take something that doesn't belong to us or we're going to leave frustrated. And so the best way to prepare our children is, hey, dating is is a way in 2022 in America that we find a spouse. So when you're ready for a spouse, this is the way to look for a spouse. Until you're ready for a spouse, I don't know that it's going to do you much good to to spend exclusive time or disproportionate amount of time with someone of the opposite sex. That is radical. Like that may yeah. even be radical for the the, the three of you. I, I'm, but I mm-hmm. I can support it with lots of data, statistics, and scripture, uh, if if appropriate. Yeah, I, I love the word you're using there. That is radical. It it's radical not necessarily from what we would understand the Lord has called people to, but radical from the culture in which we find ourselves. Right. That's right. The, when the when the culture talks about dating, it is very different than what you're talking about, and there's something appealing to the culture about dating. And we're talking a lot on our um, podcast this fall about countercultural parenting within uh, the family, about how we are going to be different. Now, Christian kids may not have the well-rounded, mature version that you're describing of dating. They're going to see dating from a worldly sense or have it defined by the world in everything they're watching and hearing very differently than what you're talking about. And as parents, we want to raise our kids not only uh, willing to listen to us as parents and say, we're going to say no, or we're going to say no for now. But we, we'd we love to raise uh, kids who are ready to resist that same pressure to conform. How do you advise parents to prepare their kids to have a uh, desire for or a commitment to the kind of um, dating that you're, you're casting a vision for? How, how do you help parents say, hey, I want your kids on the same page that I'm talking about? One of the easiest ways to earn credibility and trust as a parent is to tell your child what's going to happen. And so you're a guide, right? And so you can say, hey, in the fifth grade, you know, your body's going to start to do this. I just want to give you a heads up. You know, this is going to be how you start to feel. Here's going to be some of the temptations that you face. Uh, you know, as, as, as you're talking to boys, hey, when you're in the bathtub at around this age, you're going to start to notice and feel some things and be tempted to do this. And, and, and I just want you to know, man, I'm a trusted guide. We can talk about this. It doesn't have to be weird or uncomfortable. Um, 
when you know girls when you get to that kind of eighth grade ninth grade tenth grade you're going to experience something called mean girls uh they're going to click up and they're going to start to try to find you know um identity and relationships and you may find yourself on the other side of that circle and feel left out and you start to tell them the things that they're going to feel and then when they get there they're like all right dad hey i'm there remember that thing you told me was going to happen hey hey girls this is a big one on the topic you're going to see all your girlfriends begin to just go crazy over boys Okay, they're going to talk about them in the locker room. They're going to start to notice things. They're going to make jokes that are just inappropriate about their parts that you're going to hear that so-and-so lost her virginity. And then check this out. You're going to begin to see lots and lots of tears and depression and despair. You're going to hear the word anxiety a ton. And, and I'm telling you that a part of what's happening there is these girls are getting their hearts broken. And you tell them that, hey, this is what's, this is what's going to happen. And then when they get there, they, they're like, hey, dad, you know, so-and-so lost her virginity. And then he broke up with her and she's really upset. And I, I told her that she needs to talk to you. <laughs> you know, and that, that's really happening, by the way, right? And so it's like that, that's a way that we can earn the trust of our children. It's just, just we're guides. We've been there. We've all been there. And now they feel like, oh, yeah, you were there, you know, 700 years ago. But it's like, no, I, I very much remember those conversations in the locker room and, you know, those kinds of things. So as you're talking about parents being the guide, one of the things you address in the book Outdated is about the, the specific lies our culture tells about dating. Can you think of one of those lies that, uh, that maybe in particular – Parents have an opportunity to address and how they lead their homes. Uh, some of them were like uh, that there's one person out there for them, that physical attraction is ultimate, that, that we should follow our hearts. Can you think of ones that you go, man, parents really have an opportunity, obviously, to address all of them. But what sticks out to you is you really think parents need to hammer this home. Yeah, just like on the, on the aspect of the one, the soulmate, that's a great example, by the way. We just do things for a long time because we've always done them. And so you'll you'll hear things like that, soulmate, um, I'm looking for the one. This actually comes from Greek mythology, just this idea that everyone at one point was uh, that two people made up one person and that Zeus cut them in two and their other half like was somewhere else in the world and they had to find them. Now that like that like the origin of that story really matters. And so you think, well, gosh, is there one person for me? Absolutely not. Listen, I am six foot seven inches tall. Okay. My wife is five two. I love guns, motorcycles, and the UFC, right? She loves puppies and and babies, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> no one's gonna put us together and be like, oh yeah, she is the exact right person for him. I'll even ask it like this. I'll even ask like this. I'll say, is there somebody out there better suited for Monica than me? And the answer is a resounding absolute yes. Hundreds of thousands of men are, I mean, any personality test we could take, anything that we would look at, Enneagram, Finder, Myers-Briggs, whatever, is going to show you that there are hundreds of thousands of men out there that, that she could experience a greater happiness with, potentially, or she's more compatible with. And yet, 
we entered into a covenant together. And so we're to figure that out, make that work, to love each other, to die to self, to pursue each other. And in doing so, we get to experience the joys of marriage. And so there's not there's not one out there for for our children. There's there's many. Uh, the the good news is that it's not as hard to find like a needle in a haystack. Uh, the 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 challenging news is it is a very limited group. I mean, it's somebody that you know really in Genesis to Revelation when we talk about marriage, everyone always talks about the importance of being equally yoked from Second Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But we we don't understand the greater narrative of the scripture is God telling his people to find his people and make his people. Mm. The first great commission is actually be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The the first command that God gives humans is have lots of babies and teach them to know me, you know? <laughs> and and so really um this this finding, like being a believer, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and finding a fully devoted follower of Jesus, have children and raise them to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, if if there's a calling to singleness, or I don't have that significant other, that's just that just turns into what is known as discipleship, like yeah. make disciples. I'm glad you that's brought good. up your wife because I'm curious. Um, about how much you and your wife have shared about your dating story with your kids or even past dating stories uh, when it comes yeah. to failures in dating or victories and how you've helped your kids think about dating just from your own experiences. Well, you know, I don't have the luxury of of keeping things from my kids because, you know, I, I travel the world and talk about my addiction to pornography I, I travel the world and talk about my sexual addiction. <laughs> and so a lot of times they're at the camp with me sitting in the third row and, and dad is talking about porn and masturbation, right? And, and so uh, there, there are some challenges to that, you know, in regards to what the scripture says about such things. But uh, they, they have heard my story. And, and so, man, we just don't, we don't really um, shield them from a lot. Now, with that said, we're not the weirdo parents that are like, I, I love, you know, the birds and the bees is, is a ministry that just kind of instructs parents how to talk about sex with their kids. They do a great job uh, about, you know, you you start at an early age, but you talk about it in an age appropriate way. I'm a big advocate of that. Uh, I believe in that. I believe that's that's right. They know everything about my story. And so, and, and you know what? Every I think parents are afraid that the kids are going to be like, well, yeah, I'm going to do drugs because you did. Yeah, I'm going to smoke weed because you did. Yeah, well, right. yeah, I'm going to have right. sex because you did. It's really so far, you know, and I'm in the experiment. And and I would also say you can't always determine obedience by the outcome, by the way. Sometimes, you know, it's not we – don't, we're not pragmatists, right? We, we're faithful followers of Jesus. So sometimes we do the right thing and it doesn't turn out well and it doesn't mean we didn't do the right thing. But – um I share those with my kids, and so far, it, it's it's been an effective way to be able to say, "Hey, I promise you, I know what's in that room. You don't want to open that door. You know, I've I've been in there, and I'm willing to talk to you about it in detail. Mm-hmm. You don't want to open that that door, and so that's that's how we've handled that. That's great. It's good. So, I mean, it sounds like you've experienced a lot of freedom in your own personal story and freedom from shame in, in such a way that you're able to talk about it. You know, even from stages. Yeah. Obviously, not every yeah. parent has experienced that kind of freedom, or um, or maybe yeah. they've experienced freedom from 
past sins uh, and sin patterns, but they yeah. haven't really, the shame is still there and it's hard for them to talk about. What encouragement would you offer to those parents? Yeah, it, it's um, it's a really keen observation. It's a, a pro observation. I would just encourage you know, parents toward that same freedom. And so you know, people people do ask often, in fact, I have this, this, this really neat thing God did one time. I was, I was talking to a room full of men and I was talking about that, and, I, and I'll always, I'll often say, you, you might wonder, but gosh, how do you see talk about pornography so freely? And I just say, it's because I am free. Like, I mean, I, I yeah. understand the gospel. Jesus Christ has paid for my sins, and it's, and it's like those are my sins. But every single human being I've ever talked to has sins. There's not a parent trying to raise their children that doesn't have grievous sin in their in their background and if they say that they do then their grievous sin is pride and self-righteousness yeah. you know and legalism <laughs> right right mm-hmm. and so it's like every, all of us have that and and we we have to look deeply in the gospel to be set free my my favorite and I, we don't have time to go into it but my favorite chapter on shame is John chapter 21 where Jesus reinstates Peter after he betrays him three times and and it's just right. a beautiful picture that we've been called to so much more than to live and be held back by our shame and so if if there's a parent who's stuck in that shame you've got to find that freedom and you don't have to do it alone like there's lots mm-hmm. of ministries yeah. out there lots of pastors out there lots of of people out there that would love to help you counselors therapists psychologists you know whatever that is depending on the situation you you got to find that path forward don't stay in the shame that will impact your your parenting honestly and that's not me yeah. fearmongering or trying to put more shame on you I, I, it's me trying to coerce you toward freedom. That's good. Awesome. Thank you for that. Well, speaking of um, sexual sin and shame and the heartache it leads to, if our kids trust us enough to ask the parents, how far is too far physically? How would you help parents answer that for their kids or even preemptively address that with their kids? I'll give you a metaphorical answer and then a very explicit answer. The metaphorical answer is it's just... I say, or illustrative answer is if someone says, you know, how close can I get to the edge of this building? I would just say, well, do you want to jump off the building? Because if you want to jump off the building, don't even get on the elevator, right? <laughs> like don't don't get on the roof, stay on the ground if you want to jump off the building. Uh, if you If your desire to jump off the building, then it's not going to be safe for you to get anywhere near the edge uh, or even on the roof again. And so I think when it comes to sex, if if you have a guy and a girl who are of age where their body begins to prepare itself for sex, then there's a a big desire inside of them to want to, you know, quote unquote, jump off, if you will. And and so in that way, I wouldn't even get close to it. First Corinthians six six says, First Corinthians six says, flee sexual immorality. All other sin the person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You've been bought by price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So fleeing from something does not mean like, hey, how close to it can I get? Right. Mm-hmm. And then so that's the that's the you know, illustrative answer. And then the very explicit answer is I would say, when your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you've gone too far. And so this is like, 
sex is God's genius idea. Like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like, hey, I'm going to put the parts there. Like, hey, let's give him this and let's give her this and let's make that fit there. And and okay, when they're ready, that's going to become this way and that's going to become this way. And then this is what will happen. And 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 it's like, and, and as I say those things, right, our minds are like, oh, I know what he's talking about, right? And and so it almost feels, can we say that? <laughs> and we can. And so, <laughs> and, and so it's like, that's God's genius design. Like he did that. He invented that. Like, like Steve Jobs invented the iPhone. God invented that. And it is unloving to be with someone and to get their body moving a hundred miles an hour that direction and then say, Oh, I got to go home. You know, that's, that's a sleepless night, man. Like that is really, really uncomfortable. My mind's racing. I want to sin. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been tempted towards sin. Uh, something has started that is really difficult to shut off. And so that's what I would just, that's the very simple explicit answer is when your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you sinned. And so, you know, I've had all kinds of questions to this. You know, people say, well, what if I, you know, when I see my girlfriend, my body prepares itself for sex. And it's like, great. <laughs> so for you, it may be wise to not date in public. Mm. Right. And they're like, that's crazy. And I'm like, eh, I, I've done a lot of weddings, like a lot, uh, more than I can count. And in, in, I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I've never in my life had a couple say, man, I really wish we would have went further sexually before we got that's married. Right. Mm. I really wish we would have tried more stuff out. And, um, I've done a lot of West weddings where when in a wedding, when you say the preacher says, you know what he says at the end of the wedding, I kiss the bride. You may kiss the bride. Do you know why he says that? Because for centuries, that was those present witnessing their first kiss. Mm. For centuries. I mean, we still carry on this tradition. And and it's like, you know, now that's not a... We're like, woo, oh, yeah. Come on, guys. They've, they've <laughs> kissed hundreds of times. I mean, doesn't he live over with her? Like, what are we cheering mm. for? And it's not like that was their first kiss. But I've done weddings where it was. And and it's there's something really beautiful to that that we're carrying forth this tradition. You may kiss your bride for the first time in the presence of these witnesses and God. You may kiss your wife, and it's like man, that's next level. Like that's a different marriage. That's a different wedding, different wedding right there. Yeah. And uh, am I so? Am I saying hey, you shouldn't kiss kiss until uh, your wedding? I'm not saying that. I I. I'd, I don't want to say anything that the scriptures don't say. So I would say flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. And I would say when your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you've gone too far. That's good. That's helpful. Thank you. Okay. Something uh, we talk about with singles in our church a lot is uh, breaking up well. What wisdom do you have for parents that would love to see their kid's relationship break up? Or if the kid, or, you know, we're saying kid, but they could be any age, uh, single people in our church thinking, okay, we're, we were working on dating towards marriage. Now it's a bad idea. How, how do you advise a wise or godly way of breaking up? Well, I just, and, and again, I, I have a feeling like I'm blowing some paradigms right now. And I, I don't, I don't mean to, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Josh Harris. Like I really am not trying to kiss dating goodbye. That's not my, that's not my message. I am trying to redeem it. And, um, and I think we're really far from where we should be. Like I, like I just think of everything of, of, Hey, God is in heaven. And he's cheering for something. 
And so I'm always like, what's he cheering for? Mm. And uh, and I don't think he's like cheering for two 16-year-olds making out in the backseat. Like I just don't, you know, I, I don't think he's ever cheered for that. I think I think uh, he's actually jumping up and down, waving his arms, saying, no, 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 this, this is going to cause you a lot of hurt. So I say that as a disclaimer to say like, I like the way that we go through breakups today. I don't know that he made us for that. And, um, and so like how to break up, it really depends on how you dated. Um, if, if you dated well, then a breakup is, is a pretty much non-event, you know, it's like, Hey, we've gone on a couple dates and, um, I think you agree this isn't really going where it needs to go. Um, I don't think you would be a suitable spouse for me. I don't think I would be a suitable spouse for you. We probably shouldn't continue to spend time together in this way. Right. So, okay. Yeah, I agree. High five. See you later. Right. That sounds so unrealistic because nobody <laughs> dates that way. Right. I mean, we, we laugh at it because nobody dates that way, which I think they should. You, you heard me. And so what happens the way that breakups need to go in most situations is, and, and amongst believers, is will you please forgive me? Uh, I have led you on. Uh, I've not been careful with your heart. Uh, I, I really, all of the time that we've spent together, I've tried to convince you to like me. Everything that I've done towards you has really been an effort to get you to give me your heart. And now I don't want your heart anymore. And so I'm, 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 I'm going to try to give it back to you. And I just realize because of everything I've done up until that point, that that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for me. It's not going to be easy for you. And I'm really, really sorry. Um, will you please forgive me? And so that's, that's kind of the other side of the coin, if you will. Um, you, you give space, um, you, you, uh, you say, Hey, how can I honor you in this? You, you do not say things that aren't true. You know, love must be sincere. Romans 12 says whatever we say has to be true and sincere. And so um, we don't say, you know, hey, don't drag God into your breakup. Hey, the Lord just told me, you know, we need to break up. Don't blame your breakup on God. Say, here's the deal. I don't, like, I am not progressing in my feelings towards you. And um, I, I no longer want to spend time exclusively with you in the way that we've been spending. And if there's anything that you need to own in that, you need to own it right then and there and ask for forgiveness. JP, there's a man, I I have a hundred more questions if I'm being honest. And I I could talk to you about this all day because I do think there's a lot of challenging things you said, some things that have been really helpful for me, honestly, have ministered to me as a dad and and equipped me as a pastor. So I'm so grateful for your insight. And there there are more questions that I would love to have you answer. I know that people can ask you on Instagram and uh, I know that parents can reach out to you within your church and maybe there's there's more we get into. Unfortunately, I, I wanna make sure that we are honoring your time and wrapping up our time well, but I, I really um, want to express to you how much we not only appreciate uh, the time you spent with us today, but your ministry. Yeah. JP, it has a, a far-reaching impact, far beyond Harris Creek and Waco, although I'm sure it has a huge impact where you're at because the Lord has used you in profound ways. There are still, man, incredible fruit from your ministry here in Dallas where we get to minister. And I'm so grateful for the work and the time yeah. you spent pouring in here. And if there's one thing we can do to bless you, I would love to just ask you how our listeners can pray uh, for the Pakluta family, for you, for your ministry. What are the ways as we wrap up uh, that you think uh, we could ask God on your behalf 
for what you're mm. seeking right now, what what you would like to see the Lord do? What are those things? Well, I'm so grateful for the question. I, I tell people often the greatest gift you can give me are prayers. I feel like I'm soaring on the prayers of faithful people, truly. Amen. And uh, I would, you know, the, the categories at 30,000 feet, for some of you, you're prayer warriors, you're hearing this, and I'm just, I'm going to give you these categories because you'll remember them and you'll actually pray them, and I'm so thankful. And it's just like, you know, husband, that'd be a great husband, that'd be a great father, that'd be a great pastor, that'd be a great follower of Jesus. If you pray nothing else and you just pray over those four categories, you know, husband, father, pastor, follower of Jesus, you pray that, that that means the world to me. More specifically, I would just say wisdom to lead the church and to even discern, hey, what what kinds of things like this should I do? as opposed to shepherding the flock among me, like how often should I get on a plane? How often should I speak somewhere? How often should I preach on a Sunday? Uh, I could always use wisdom and direction in regards to those things. And then just protection, like just I, I'm a I'm a guy who loves to sin and the enemy hates me and he hates the ministry. And so just pray that I would just find a superior satisfaction in Jesus, that I would never conceal sin, that I would always confess it and forsake it and those kinds of things. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I love that. Thank you so much for giving us your insight today, JP. Yeah, my joy. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, uh, please give us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners. We're looking forward to all God has for us this fall, and we will see you with another great episode next Monday.